Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of The Boldly Immortal. Now, it's been a few weeks since we had that wonderful conversation about the book of Eli with uh, Jesse, and, and uh, thanks again to him for, for coming on the, the program. And uh, thanks to any of you who are listening to this after that, that episode. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with me. And this is going to be a little bit more of a normal podcast for me as much as anything can be called normal. I've been trying to wrap my mind around a few thoughts that I have, which is kind of an odd turn of phrase uh, to say that, that you know, I, have to, I have to kind of get hold of it. And one of the reasons that, I, that that's one of the reasons that I've been moving into trying to take better notes with what I do is to try and organize that information. But I have to realize that my mind doesn't necessarily work exclusively through writing. That part of the reason I started this podcast is because I think out loud. I think in conversation. So if I try to plan out exactly what I'm doing, and I've done that in a couple episodes, you might be able to tell if you listen to all of them. If I try to plan everything out and speak it verbatim from a script, well, it's not quite the same. And I don't think the same when I write as when I speak. But fundamentally, I believe that speaking is a a more... It's a more fundamental piece of humanity, right? I, I, I do believe that. It is a more viscerally human experience when one gets the chance to actually speak with another person, when you hear a voice versus reading a text. And that's not to say that a text is, is not sufficient, but there's something to the, the act of conversation. And specifically when done in person, right? I think that's the best that you can get. If you actually sit down with another human being, share the space with them, and converse. In a world where such opportunities are increasingly more difficult, with regards to strangers, though, I do, I do think it's, it's important to find those opportunities whenever possible, to think out loud, to think with the voice, to think in terms of speech, and not, to, not necessarily thinking of it in terms of, of visual either, because I, I do think there's something dangerous with the eyes. Um, also, you know, I don't exactly have a beneficial uh, characteristic there that would make this a very easy video viewing. But that that attitude of, of thinking with the voice is, is something I've, I've really leaned on. And it, it helps me understand why I, I enjoy this so much. But the reason I bring that up is is that I've effectively been trying to figure something out while not realizing that this is how I figure things out. So, welcome to an exploration of the idea of civilizational decay and, and the devolution of man. And what do I mean by that? All right. It's, it begins, I guess, with the classical education. The classical education believes that studying the wisdom of the world is is valuable studying the ancients and how they thought and what they learned is valuable to us in our modern contexts it believes that as long as you are understanding it from a proper perspective and vetting it as you go you can read completely pagan authors and and gain great wisdom right aristotle cicero plato uh, you know, more modernly, you could you speak of like even guys like uh, 
well, I would tend to think Jung, Carl Jung, right? We should read him. We don't, but, you know, that should be a part of classical education. But, you know, read Tolstoy. Anybody who's listened to this for a long time, any, any of you new viewers, Tolstoy's War and Peace is a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's worth reading. Highly worth reading. Phenomenally, just, just oh, so much in there. And uh, and so there's good there's good things, even though he was a, an avowed atheist. And you have, you, but you do have wisdom. You have wisdom from people who are not necessarily Christians. And that's important to remember. Because the people who are Christians are not the only ones with a monopoly on understanding the creation. Indeed, those who are not Christians can sometimes understand it and, and study it in ways that we don't expect to look at it, in, in ways that we aren't comfortable looking at it. And I may get into that in the future. Um, first, I'll have to explain the modern paradigm before I get into where I have issues with it. The point of this being, the classical education seeks to, to gain its strength by incorporating the knowledge and wisdom of those who are outside the faith into a properly uh, properly rigorous education in the faith and a value on the fundamentals of, of thought, right? So learning grammar, learning language, learning mathematics at a very basic level um, and building upon those blocks consistently as you as you go. You know, learning rhetoric and logic. These are pieces of classical education. Other people could give you better explanations, uh, but this is my, my brief codification of it for, for my purposes. Now, what ends up in my experience arising from this is that we, we end up looking on the past oftentimes with rose-tinted glasses. We don't realize how awful it probably smelled in a lot of places in, in history, how awful Newton probably smelled because of the hygiene available to him, even though he was a fantastic genius, right? How, you know, do you really think that the, uh, you know, the monks in the early monasteries who were copying down documents and, you know, doing early scientific experiments, do you really think they smelled terribly good? My guess is they didn't, right? They probably didn't. And, and you know what? They probably didn't mind. But that's not something we think about in our modern context where, you know, running water is available. We don't think about the average person and how poor they really were, how destitute they really were. I mean, the the average homeless person in our modern world probably has more than, well, has has more resources available to him to survive than, you know, most well-to-do people in the ancient world, all the way up till, you know, quite a few, quite a, you know, just a couple hundred years ago. We've, we've sacrificed some things along the way, obviously, though. And with the technological advances that we've gotten, right, where we have, hey, we've got better water. Well, it's not to say they didn't have running water in Rome because they did. But the accessibility of it to the individual member of society has increased, right? The facilitation of that system, the ability to study it has in some ways increased. And so it's valuable to look at the past with, with respect and ask, what did they know? What did they learn? What lessons did they understand about humanity and what it means to be a person, to be a thinking being? What did the Stoics know about the, the value of your philosophy? Uh, where if you think, 
if you if you take the attitude towards life of of in embracing challenge, difficulty, suffering, then you actually tend to have a better, happier life. You know, well, there's some wisdom there. Now, does that save you from death? No, it doesn't, right? Which is why it's important to temper it with a p- proper theological education along with it to remind people that that we have two different kingdoms we're talking about, right? We have a, a, the mind and and its exclusive sphere, sphere, I could suppose, right? Where it's not, a, it's never exclusive, but the, the space where it is more heavily weighted on human reason. It always has to have a foundation in theology, but, you know, the, the sciences and mathematics are, are generally speaking, spaces where the mind can operate cleanly. And what we're seeing now is the, the continued degradation of many, many years of degrading the theology behind it, right? And that's why we're seeing so much uh, problem in the, in the sciences right now is because I think you know, that, that thin 1% angle where you get away from a good foundation becomes much more noticeable later down the road. But the mind can do certain things, right? The Enlightenment had some decent points, but what we saw in the, the First and Second World Wars were the, the culmination of the Enlightenment, right? I mean, arguably the Cold War, you could say, is the final, you know, the, the pinnacle where we finally realized, wait a second, we're going to kill ourselves because we're so smart. But I would argue that the First and Second World Wars and, you know, all the wars that lead up to it in, in, those, in those eras are, are wars of the Enlightenment, wars that, that, that explode because of people's belief that, you know, they can build this perfect world and we're going to have these perfect alliances and everybody's going to be related to everybody else and then it all messes apart, you know, it all collapses spectacularly. And then in the Second World War, you end up with these nations that, that build themselves, you know, oftentimes with a eugenics approach toward their populations. And look at how far that got us. Right. Now, what, what are we seeing? We're seeing a, a, a degrading of certain other fabrics of our society across the world. But specifically, if we look at our modern American context, then you can see that the social fabric, the social structure that used to keep everybody together is, is collapsing slowly, but it's not going to be there for much longer. We have had a man slandered absolutely in the media as responsible for, for other people's death. We have other people who are responsible for death who are not being spoken of at all, right? We, we, have, we have absolute messes going on across the board. Uh, in terms of how we perceive one another, how we treat one another, the attitude with which we approach our fellow man is falling apart. And just at this perfect moment, we also happen to have a characteristic placed upon us when we enter the public sphere that fundamentally dehumanizes us. It's very difficult to say that wearing a mask and, and, and seeing other people in masks does not um, create a psychology of dehumanization. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not immense, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, overboard necessarily, but the effect is most certainly there, and I, 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 would, I would press you to point that, the, the, that that isn't happening. And then 
if we ask the question, well, what, why are we doing that? Oh, and I, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. I have to get it out. The reasons to wear a mask. If we want to be safe, right? So let us say you are in, in a, a church congregation, all right? Church congregation. This is a family. We are entering our Father's house together as brothers in our brother Christ. We are bonded together around his body to receive the gifts he is there to give us. We are fellows in, in this, this human race, and especially in the, in the, in the human race as, as redeemed by Christ, the new men, where not only did we once receive the breath of life passed down to us from father to son through God's mercy and grace, but, but now we have the new, the new washing as well where we've been born again through the water and the Spirit of God. That, that Spirit that first breathed into man has once again breathed into us. And we receive those words in our ears every Sunday. What a glorious gift. And we breathe together. We sing together. We speak together. We listen together. We spend our time in the same air, in good godly air but what if what if you're sick right what if you're unclean right i had a good buddy of mine talk to me about this and say well if you treated it like ritual uncleanness in the old testament perhaps it would be a reasonable thing that when you are unclean you separate yourself from the the congregation you you stay outside the camp until you can be brought back until you are no longer unclean well, that's a reasonable thing to say. You know, hey, there, there should be some sign of uncleanness. If you are, in fact, unclean, you know, maybe stay, stay home from church if it's really bad and you're contagious. Or maybe, you know, stay away from people and wear a mask so that you don't cough on people. All right, so, so now, I'll, now I'll allow it. If I'm actually contagious, yeah, it would be unloving for me not to wear a mask. So here comes the question. What if you don't know? What if you're in the midst of a pandemic, right? I don't believe we're in the midst of a pandemic. I believe we're in the midst of an epidemic. There's a big difference between the two. Let's, let's hypothesize we're in the middle of a, an ep, a pandemic, right, for, for, for argument's sake, right? In that case, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and yet no one in your church or very few people around you in your community are actually dying from this. So it's a pandemic, but it's not that bad, all things considered. By the grace of God, it's not bad. At what point, if you don't know you're contagious, should you wear a mask? And, and then the question I would raise is, at what point in normal everyday life do you know whether you're contagious or not? Who's telling you? Who's telling you? And how do you know? I would argue that the body's got a pretty good internal information mechanism called coughing. That's when it's bad, because that's when you're actually expelling the air that could cause problems, right? So as long as you don't go up to somebody's face and breathe in their face, they should be fine. We should be completely capable of speaking with one another, sharing with one another, singing with one another, without the need to reduce the humanity we share with one another. Right? And that's a problem I legitimately have. Like, 
I, I, I feel obligated in that I know I'm not contagious, right? I'm not coughing. I'm not feeling sick. And I'm not, and if I were coughing, if I were doing that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't avoid the mask, right? Because that's, that is irresponsible. That's unloving. But apart from that, is it just, is it right for me to, to dehumanize myself and others by entering this alternative world where God didn't give me my mouth to sing, where God didn't give me it to, to smile at, at people who are in these days completely bereft of other human interaction, to actually interact with my family in my father's house. Now, I'll admit, the argument there isn't, isn't as complete as it could be, but it's, it's a piece of it, and it's something I needed to get out. Because who are we trusting? Who's telling you it's a pandemic? Is it your, your, your church? Is it your, your family? Is it the, the people around you, your community, right? Because you see people dying in the streets and it's awful and 12% of the population is dead. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not even close. Thanks be to God for that. And admittedly, it could have been worse. It could have been much worse. I'm not going to deny that because I can't. And I'm not going to deny that there are people who have died. And that is bad. How much death is too much in the world? Because I tell you what, we're all terminally ill with sin. We're all going to die. The question is, do we, do we get to decide whether or not we die? Do we ultimately have that decision? Are we the one who makes that call? Now, does that mean I should go wantonly? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Shall I go wantonly into public and cough on people because, hey, I have Christian freedom to do so? No. No, I shouldn't. But at what point are we moving too far? At what point have we gone too far? And, and, and I believe we're reaching that point right now. The problem is we're, we, you know, we, aren't, we aren't caring about whether we're at that point or not. We don't care about that at all because we, we worship different gods because we listen to the sorcerers we listen to the mages through their windows into our world we listen to men who who may not actually have our best interest in mind and oftentimes do not have a christian worldview a proper understanding that we are immortal that maybe it's okay to die maybe it's okay if, if 1% of your church population dies from this thing, if you get the chance to gather together all the same and do what the church has done for 2,000 years, maybe that's okay. The question is, though, why do we make that call? Who makes that call? And for what reason? Is it reason-based? Not anymore, right? I could go into the evidence as to the alternative solutions to to you know if you do catch the virus what are some good treatment options right the value of zinc in your diet when you're fighting a cold the symptoms of zinc deficiency which tend to align pretty well with the symptoms of covid you know there there's a lot of things we could go into in that regard we could go into the inflated death numbers we could go into the fact that death numbers aren't even counted anymore all we ever talk about is cases rising of course you have cases rising but if you have cases rising and deaths don't, hey, that's a good thing. Let's get more cases. Let's get the population inoculated. We don't need a vaccine. Thank you very much. Isn't that awesome? 
but it's not evidence-based. It's not evidence-based. What we're seeing in the modern world is the birth of the new religions, right? We've seen it already, I would argue, you know, this worship of, of hedonism. Bacchus is back, baby. Bacchus is back. He's had to be, he's been put on a temporary hold because he's not the king of the gods, right? You're not allowed to go to parties if there's something more important going on, right? And what that is, I have not yet quite discerned. I think it's Mercury. I think Mercury is 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 king right now, right? This this messenger god, right? I mean, Facebook Messenger. It's a fantastic name, right? But but messaging, instant messaging. Well, what do you know? That, that, that's Mercury right there. That's the. I mean, I've I've almost want to call my my cell phone a Mercury box, right? The Temple of Mercury right there, or Hermes for you Greek nuts out there. Um, I appreciate you, um, but that's what it is. It is me believing, you know, I take that around everywhere because I believe that I need to have all the information all the time, that if I'm not always capable of communicating with someone or always capable of getting the information that I want, I am at da- I'm in danger. I'm at risk of my very, you know, existence. That's why we take them everywhere. Because we think if, if, if I get information three hours too late, it's the end of the world. We're worshiping that access, that control that comes through Mercury himself, right? The God of delivery. So that's that's one of them, though. And, and obviously, that's an important deity in the current context, right? Because we've separated ourselves because there's something else greater than that that's ruling right now, some other power that's chief among among the gods. So it's not it's not Mercury. I'm wrong on that point. But, you know, you have Bacchus and his his delight. I think it's also Hephaestus, right? Because Mercury is working through Hephaestus. I am an engineer by trade. I am I'm, you know, part of that that clan, right? Now, there are technocrats, people who believe that technology will allow them to ascend, you know, by Making, merging their bodies with artificial intelligence or cyborg body parts. You know, they believe that they'll be able to improve humanity. Those guys are probably the ones who are actually worshiping Hephaestus. They're worshiping the technology, right? They've gotten to that point of, of putting in an eschatology for technology, right? I don't know of anybody who has quite an eschatology of communication yet. Uh, maybe people who believe that teleporters are a decent idea because they're really, really not a good idea. But... You know, that that would be Hephaestus. You, you, if you if you take time and you look at it, you know one of the things I've heard is Kronos is just a master over us right now. We we love clocks, we love the clock. We we rule our days by the clock. But that's been a while now, and I think he is properly dethroned. Right? He's 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 there behind everything, but he Saturn is not the king. But who who is Jupiter? That's that is a difficult question to answer. See, but the only reason I could codify any of that stuff is because I expect it. I expect that that's the way pagans are going to work. I fully anticipate that people who are not baptized, who do not know Christ, who do not believe in the functional immortality that we have been given, functional immortality, the bodily immortality, there's a better one, the carnal immortality. Now, carnal, obviously, you don't want to get too much into that because carnal tends to, in Scripture, mean, you know, the, the sinful flesh, right? But but there is a, you know, the incarnation is Jesus getting a body and he's still got it. 
So, you know, that doesn't leave. We do have a fleshly, a, 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 not, a, not a sinful flesh, but we have a bodily resurrection. We talk about that. Well, that's carnal to a certain extent, right? Without the sin, but with the body. Oh, what a beautiful thing. There are people who don't believe that, right? A lot of them. In fact, arguably most of them, most people on earth don't believe in the resurrection of the body. And I'm including the fact, I'm accounting for the fact that you have a lot of Christians in that number, so-called Christians who do not believe in the resurrection of the body. They believe that they're going to be some spirit being somewhere else. It's like, what, what, what is a spirit being? I'm sorry. Explain this to me. I don't understand. My brain is made of electrical synapses, and you're, you're talking about spirit beingness. Like, I can't think without a brain. Now, maybe there's, there are obviously, there is obviously another vector to it that is the soul, but that's not what we've been promised. We haven't been promised souls for eternity, right? We've been promised eternal life with a body. It's great. But if you don't believe that, let's say you think that's all bunk, and you believe that that you have to achieve some perfect world here and now. Well, how are you going to do it? You're going to you're going to follow you're going to follow the way that humans have always followed their their sinful appetites and their their sinful inclinations and, and turn gods of of that which which shouldn't be. You know, you're going to make a god out of the things that you you have and that you use and that you see. And and there's a consi- relatively consistent hierarchy across the the world about what they what they have valued and so that's why i like the great gods you know you could go with the norse ones if you want it's a slightly different culture but you you see severe similarities because these are not idiots these are not fools and as much as i would like to believe that you know as much as much as as much as the ancient world had its its problems the people who were smart back then are were, were smart right you can't discredit them for the world that they lived in and the and the experiences that they could draw on and the wisdom that they had at their disposal. I mean, it put yourself in the shoes of a uh, 3rd century BC Greek and think about what they were going through on a daily basis and tell me that you're going to be some enlightened, wise person. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's living in a city if you don't live in a city and ask yourself what you'd be going through. Right now, I would argue there's there's a pretty significant, you know, cultural divide in, in, in who we are ourselves, and we simply don't notice it. But the point of the point of bringing that all up is that it's degrading to a certain extent, right? We could so we we feel that if we if those who are classically educated, we feel like there's some some slipping of the expectations that that men aren't as strong as they used to be. That, that people don't have to do what they did in the old days. We've got a mythology for this in just America. I mean, you could ignore ancient Greece and Rome and the Middle, the middle Ages of Europe and the Holy Roman Empire. You could ignore the colonial British Empire, the colonial French Empire, the non-colonial, mostly, uh, German Empire. You could ignore them if you wanted. Or you could, and in doing so, you could look at just America and, and, and our myth of the the person going out onto the farm and homestead and making their way in the land and raising up a family and standing on their own two feet, pulling up by their own bootstraps, right? That's, it happened. It did happen. But the belief that that's all gone now is naive. The belief that it was ever as good as we think it was is also naive. And the belief that 
when it was like that, it was bad that, that so many enlightened people have today is also naive. It's complicated because humans are complicated. That's probably the best way of putting it. So we shouldn't be too hasty to judge the ancient world. And I know that, that, that it seems like there was a bit of a, a jump in that thought, but, but to, connect, to try and connect the pieces together. We cannot be too hasty to judge the ancient world, but we must not be too hasty to judge ourselves either. To pat ourselves on the back for being so enlightened and, and intelligent. We can't see the future any more than they can. But what we have is the benefit of the past. We have the benefit of history to tell us what has happened before. Has the church survived in real pandemics? Yes, they have. Did they oftentimes take precautions? Well, yeah, sure. But do we always need the exhortation to remember to go to church and, and, and think of one another as brothers? Yeah, we do. Do we always need the, the exhortation to gather together and sing? Sing with clear, confident voices, with, with lungs full of air. Right? We don't do it anymore. We don't, because we listen to everything. Right? We absorb music. We don't produce it anymore, because we can is that always bad, though? Not necessarily. We don't, it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be bad. But we should at least learn. We should at least try to remember and, and try and, and think about what it means to be human, if we in fact want to be. We should ask the question, who am I? Who is my neighbor? And how can I relate to them well? If you happen to believe that you are fundamentally incapable of interacting with them without killing them, by all means, in your clear, in the, for the clearness of your conscience, wear a mask all the, everywhere. I'm here to tell you, you don't need to. You don't need to. Now, if your government says you have to, well, now we have to start to get into some questions about civil disobedience and, you know, the the powers of the authority and where it is and is not appropriate. You know, and that's a different question. The matter of authority kind of supersedes a lot of this stuff. But we do believe in the rights of conscience. And I'm here to say, I cannot in good conscience go about believing that this is all okay. The, 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 the understanding that I have of the current scenario, the understanding that I have of modern man and his, his, desi his, his lack of any guiding principles... His willingness to go along with whatever whims may arise. His inability to ground himself on any solid foundation because he's in the middle of sinking sands. Because we don't live in a world of Christendom anymore. We live in the post-modern world, right? We, we, weren't, we haven't been in Christendom for years. The Enlightenment kind of figured that, and, and then after that, this post-modern reality... Nothing, nothing's true for them anymore. It's, it's the institutionalization of standing in the sand, right? How dare you think your solid foundation is solid and foundational? That's the world we live in. Those are the people who govern us now, and more importantly, even if we don't see that in full, they're going to govern us in the next 20, to 20 years, and they're going to continue to govern us until a new paradigm arises. I'm personally hoping for stoicism, 
because stoicism, honestly, is a relatively functional thing, and it tends to be good for the neighbor. But until that arises, we're ruled by postmodernists. We are ruled by people who don't believe in truth, who do not believe that God even exists, and who believe, in fact, that God is evil. But nothing's bad, nothing's wrong except God, who are specifically focused on that. These are the people who, who rule over us, who we, must, who we are duty-bound to obey. And do not hear me saying that you are duty-bound, therefore, to resist. But you are not duty-bound to hear them and listen and inwardly digest their words. You have not been authorized to let the wild ways of the wailing world permeate your soul. You've not been authorized to listen to what they have to say and take it at face value. You've been commanded to love your neighbor, but you haven't been commanded to love your neighbor exactly how the world says love works because that's not how God works. Because God's love is in that he, he sent his son to die. That's love? Dying for your neighbor? Dying for your neighbor, that's, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? But we can't do that, can we? We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to go down in peace. To, 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 to depart in peace, no. No, we have to decide. We have to control it. We have to drug somebody up on it. No. No, 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 this is wrong. We have not been authorized to take that kind of those kinds of measures. We've been authorized to love. And I think it's it's high time we took a very serious serious look at what we're doing. Perhaps look at the ancient world. Perhaps. I'm not saying that that's where the answer will be found. Right? Why? Because we live in a post-cultural culture. We live in a world where you can't, don't have an identity anymore because identity is all that matters. Sure. We are in a brave new world. And, and we don't know where we're going at all, necessarily. Except that we do. We do. On the other side of this fog, we know, we, we know, that the, we know the city on the hill. We know that it's there. We know that it's not going to be in this life. We know that everything here, that, that Babylon the Great is going to continue whoring out across this, this world until the end of time. We also know that we're redeemed from it. But how do we show it? How do we display this to the world, right? We take in, in a classical education, we take in what the world tells, what the word, world explores, right? We should take in their, uh, understand their, their tools for persuasion and, and mass control, not to adapt them, but to be aware of them, to be guard against them, to guard against them. We, we shouldn't be using manipulation techniques. We should understand what they are and guard our people from, from falling, you know, in, to be entrapped by them. That would be a decent use of classical education now because the modern world is fantastic at manipulation and media. But, but the world has no similar obligation. They have no similar inclination to listen to the church and actually hear what we have to say. All they can see, right, before man you are justified by what you do. 
you are you you are able to show the content of your faith by how you act it out and i have a hard time believing that i am confessing immortality if i walk in fear every day of my life if i listen to those who have no reason to consider my own interests now I would be a fool to discard them out of hand. I would be a fool to disregard the wisdom of others. I learned that in classical ed. I learned that the world has wisdom to teach even me, right? <laughs> Who thinks I am so wise and, and so intelligent that I'm worth listening to. But, but the world doesn't have the key. The world doesn't have the destination in mind they don't know where we're going so no wonder so they are bound to panic they're bound to panic they're bound to, to, to freak out they're bound to overreact and they are bound to consider things in their own pragmatic practical way with fear of death and i'm here to tell you if you think that that's going to fly on this podcast well i mean you're just not paying attention cuz i'm putting it in as i'm trying to put it in the branding as much as possible i'm really trying this is the podcast of the boldly immortal and you can't very well be boldly immortal if you sacrifice your convictions about what it means to be human and what it means to worship and what it means to confess if you sacrifice your convictions and and if you alter the way that you've been doing things for th uh, for thousands of years simply because apparently in the modern world the human immune system is broken if you do that what are you confessing who are you listening to who's your god who are your sage you know sages and, and wise men who's telling you what to think and why you're thinking it because frankly i think we're listening to the wrong the wrong prophets and given the fact that a prophet is judged by the outcome of his prophecy i would say with relatively strong confidence we're listening to the wrong prophets so maybe we should take a, a, a step back and and understand that that one of the values of classical education one of the values of studying the past is that you can see not just where they had wisdom, but where they were absolutely wrong. You can understand why Plato's Republic was doomed to fail. Because we, unlike him, have the benefit of hindsight. We can understand the problems with applying propaganda techniques in your culture. We can understand the problems with hyper-nationalism and hyper-internationalism. We can, we can judge the world because we are outside of it. We don't belong to it. And in fact, we are obligated. We are duty-bound to, to walk with discernment. So let us walk together with discernment down this road, asking the questions, thinking about what is in fact right and proper and asking who's telling us this who you're worshiping 
Who are you listening to? Who's, who's determining your worldview and why? This is the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. And I will continually strive toward upholding the promise I make with that bold confession.